All right, guys. Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your host, Matt Slarczyk and Peter Fendero. How you doing so today, guys, Peter? I'm doing good. Late over here. It's like three in the morning. Playing. We're actually recording a late night episode, guys. Just trying to make it happen. Yeah, I had my long ass skills day today, too. That wasn't fun. It wasn't even do? that bad. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even that bad. It's just like restraints. Um, what else do I do? Restraints. Like how to deal with like behavioral patients majority was restraints like safe patient handling like how to transfer a patient over there's actually like i don't know if you guys have that but it's like um like a air mattress so the thing goes like bed height there's like oh. five levels to inflate yeah so I, actually the facility that i work at they have them in every single room every single room has a hover mat so it's pretty insane and it helps with like the back and everything so every patient you just kind of like glide them mm-hmm. literally well, no, I'm not talking about on the, the bed. I'm talking about like if they're on the ground or some shit, if they fall, then there's like this, there's like this like thing you put on, like it looks like a, like a thin plastic mattress, but there's like four mm-hmm. tiers to it. And you inflate one tier and it literally goes from the ground all the way to like bed height. Interesting. In case somebody heavy falls, but I've never used that in my life. I've never seen it up until, up until today. Testing new equipment. So guys, for those that are new here, we just went on a little tangent. Thank you for listening. Keep on doing that. Share it with whoever you love. Smash that five button, uh, five star button, guys. So what happens when you smash that five button? Believe it or not, we get ranked better. We appear in searches, and that means that we grow. And we want this podcast to grow, so it motivates both me and PD to keep doing this. So make sure you give us a five star if you can. Yeah, do it, guys. Cheers on YouTube. We're breaking up small clips for you guys as well. If you guys don't like this long long format as much, but that's pretty much all for YouTube. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about surviving the night shift. We had somebody ask us a question on tips and how to do it. And then we're also going to uh, talk about like the the negative part of nursing, like what's wrong with the worst parts of healthcare, basically, that uh, not a lot of people like to discuss. Yeah. So for surviving night shift, there's like the six key things that, that we usually do to you know get past it. Then it's getting enough sleep, eating healthy, being active outside of work finding time on your days off to do things that you like, your, your hobbies, nutrition, like I said before, and then, of course, caffeine. You can't have enough so caffeine. Getting enough sleep, do you think that you can get enough sleep even though you're fighting like the circadian rhythm the whole entire time? Yeah, I believe so. Just because you know, I sleep like a solid, I guess I'll sleep a solid six to eight hours if I really wanted to. Um, and you got to do things that promote sleep, like the blackout curtains are helpful, like a quiet room. Or even like the meditation music in the background or like a humidifier, essential oils. So anything to promote sleep. It's going to be a little bit different than compared to like, you know, before when you're on days. Just because you know, you're, you're flipping out, you're sleeping during the day, which is you can need different kind of rituals, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Do you put any music on when you go to sleep before um, before your night shift or regularly? Uh, before my night shift or when I'm or like afterwards? Yeah. Do you have like a routine? Because for example, for me... Um, I don't need to sleep music when I come in the morning because I just knock out. But if it's um, during the nighttime, like let's just say I'm going to sleep at 10 p.m., then I would like to put some music on because it kind of helps me um, get into the, the mood because that's normally my, my like, you know, awake time at work. Yeah, for most part, the same. Like if I'm coming home from work, then I could knock out fairly, fairly quickly. But sometimes like I get a little bit amped up in the morning because a lot of stuff to do or I drink my coffee a little bit later. I mean, sometimes I just do music or, or podcasts. Like I do, I do like that. Uh, like those nature 
music noise towards like the ocean or animals or just the forest or something. Or I just put like a, on a podcast on like Joe Rogan or, or somebody like that. I just fall asleep to it. Just kind of some kind of like, but yeah, just like it's more like a background noise more than anything else. Okay, and then um, healthy eating snacks and staying hydrated. That's like another tip that a lot of people don't know that it depends on what you snack and it makes a difference on how you feel. And like, imagine just, you know, um, drinking a late night uh, can of pop at like 12 o'clock. Yeah, for sure. At like 2am, you're going to have a crash, you know, or eating like the snacks that are just not nutritious. And for some reason, we always tend to be eating um, worse on nights. I feel like the snacks are worse, man. Yeah, they're just because strictly of availability even if you want to order food you know you're gonna probably order from a late night place like a gyro or like a pizza or whatever and i think like the key portion for this would just be like meal prepping like if you bring a lunch you're gonna be less prone to, to snacking and if you do snack hopefully you brought like a banana or like a granola bar they could you could snack out but it's gonna be healthy because especially at nights like some cafeters are open but you know even if they are open there's not like anything crazy healthy to eat maybe like a salad that nobody really wants or that salad's been out for the whole day already or you get like pizza which you know isn't healthy for the most part then just you don't have very much variety it's not healthy for the most part man thing is completely not healthy <laughs> well you know once once in a while you can have a pizza you know it's not it's not gonna kill you but there's like there's not much variety so you're better off probably meal prepping and just bringing your, your own lunch if you want to you know stay healthy and if you have like nutrition goals or, or weight goals that you want to hit you're not gonna hit them by eating your food one thing I noticed too, that broccoli doesn't taste good for me at nighttime. So when I eat broccoli during the day, it tastes good. But when I like take it to work and I try to microwave it, it tastes like ass, man. I think those two occasions last week where I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna eat this broccoli. Just, it just, I had no taste for it. It's weird. Really? You ever put cheese on it? I kind of try to stay away from dairy, man, as you, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. Cheese on everything, you know, makes it taste so much better. It does. Me, at least. Even- even like the eggs and the other one was like trying to stay hydrated. So there's no way around it. Cause sometimes we forget to like drink water. I noticed it too. Like if I have like a cup of coffee and I walk into sh- to work and then I don't sleep for four hours or I'm sorry, then I work for four hours. Like I feel thirsty. Yeah. Well, for, most, um, for me, for me saying hydrated, like um, usually when I get out, I don't have an issue. It's more of like, like the mid shift towards the end where, like, cause when you're busy doing work, you're really noticing it. And then you finally sit down after like four or five hours and you're like, my mouth is so dry. Like I should, I should probably drink some water or just like, you just feel dehydrated. I know if I don't drink water for, for the majority of my shift, I definitely do feel hydrated, dehydrated. My mouth is dry. I'm just, you know, I'm just not fully there. So I definitely try to bring like, um, one of those containers, um, like a shaker bottle, one of those metal containers just so I could, um, you know, just drink as, as I go. And when I fill up the patient's water, I fill up the water for myself. What makes it harder also is that a lot of uh, places, they don't allow you to uh, bring on the the containers at work. So nurses station, some of them don't, don't want you to have any fluids at all. And that's kind of unfair because not only are you thirsty, it's hard to get a hydration because you got to run to the break room to actually get the, um, the water. But I try to define the law and because we work night shift, we could bring the water bottles. So at least that helps um, us out a lot. I've never heard of hospitals not allowing to bring water bottles. Does your hospital not allow you to bring a water bottle? Because there's like, I know you're not supposed to keep them. I know sometimes you don't keep them in the nurse's station, but there's like a designated drink area. And like, I don't know, like usually everyone's okay with you drinking at your desk as long as you no know, OSHA's out there or whoever the agency is that's coming to look around. 
maybe it's more like a day shift thing, but maybe because I just started in this facility, Kaiser, they're very, very anal about things. And one of them is things like charting and also about, you know, not having anything in front of the nurse's station. So maybe that's them specifically. Yeah, I don't know. Like for us, like there's been times of the year where, but like I said, that's, that's usually when someone's coming. I don't want to run out my facility, but I don't think that's something big that, you know, that we should worry about for the most part. Like it's not like we're spilling the water on our patients. It's not like we're sharing drinks with, with our patients, but I feel like that's probably healthier for the nurse not to keep their water at the nurse's station just because, you know, you, you come out of a patient's room, you come out of isolation room. Some people don't have the best head hygiene or they don't, they don't even gown up and then they come sit by, at the desk and who knows when that desk has been washed, when the last time the mouse, the mouse was, when the mouse was washed off or the keyboard was washed off. So I feel like keeping drinks by you is probably more toxic to yourself than anybody else. That That's true. I agree with that one. The Even other- though I, I do do, I, I do keep it at my desk and I, and I do drink it just because of, you know, convenience. I'm not going to walk, you know, 20 feet just to get a drink of water. I'm just going to keep, keep it with me. But I just, when I come in, I try to at least wash my um, workstation before I put my food there or my drink. You, you are right. The next one is be active outside of work and active before after like let's just say hitting the gym so you have to develop a routine for that and it it sucks you have to really push yourself and not everybody could relate with this one because they have kids they have to drop them off to school so they can't get off you know they can't get off night shift and go to the um, to the gym but for example for me it works out because i can so sometimes i try to go to the gym uh, after work i'll have my little pre-workout i have a um, cup of coffee recently i've been just fine just being self-motivated and going into work or going to the gym i'm sorry and for those that have kids like why don't you go to the gym before work make it a routine where you leave an hour and a half earlier even though i know that's a lot go work out really quick get your activity in, go shower and then put on your scrubs and go to work that's totally possible it just depends on how much you prioritize to this yeah it's i mean it's, it's possible it's it's really hard. It's kind of where it gets kind of tricky. Like every day you're for sure not going to be able to do that. Maybe like once or twice, or twice a week, because if you think about it, like it's say you got to drop your kids off in the morning. So you get off work, you drop your kids off. By the time you get home, school starts probably like at nine. So by the time you get home, it's probably like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Then you go to sleep, you know, and you want to sleep at least six to eight hours, right? At least six hours. So that's from, say you get home at 11, that's what, five o'clock you sleep till you can't really go to gym if you start your shift at seven, you know, but like the weekends for the most part, you should at least try to go on the weekends if you can't do it every day. But like Matt said, it's really hard when you have kids, but you should still at least make an effort. Like try to go, go before work. It's easier said than done, but you should at least get like a day or two of physical activity during, during the week. I think what's becoming trendy too is like, um, there's like those giant monitor workout programs. Like it's like a, basically your own little personal coach and it's just hooked up on a wall. You put it on and you kind of work out. So maybe if you're, you know, not okay with, with, you know, um, going to the gym, that could be like a solution. Is that and at the, at the gym or do you, do you buy one of those monitors? You purchase one yeah. and it's a giant one that goes onto the wall and you just, um, turn it on. It's like a personal coach does your work workouts with you and stuff. So yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That might become more popular in the future as you know, you become more homey, I guess with technology. Yeah. But does that just show you do like body workouts? Cause I don't really would need a purchase like a giant screen to tell me what body workout should do. It's just like YouTube and a little bit of motivation. For the most part, but people, I guess people like the, the fancy stuff. 
Yeah. But, and also yeah. you have like live classes. So you like log on and there's other people that are doing this live class oh. with instructor. So it's a whole program that gets more embedded and it, it, it could be for other people. Yeah, it's cool. Like for me, me personally, I like working out after work. If I'm doing like a three in a row, usually I would probably work out the first day. I would skip the second day and I would, depending on how I feel after the third day, I usually try to go after the third day for the most part. But after work, for sh- usually most of the time I do go after the third day. The first day on, this depends. I either go the morning of or, or before work. Just depends I, I, on how, how my day goes for the most part. But the second day, usually, usually I, I don't go because, you know, I just got off work and then I got to work the next day. Sorry, that's like my rest day for the most part. Yeah, so I used to do that a lot where I worked out the first day, then skipped second, went the third. But now I'm trying to prioritize sleep, man. Even though today I had a busy day, I probably got four hours of sleep, 2BH. It is what it is. It sucks. But I try to get my six plus, man, six and a half mm-hmm. if I can. So I, I stopped working out on like back-to-backs, man. I think sleep is a better form of self-love. Yeah, I don't know. I think I feel good. Just that second day is probably the worst. I thought. Yeah, usually if I even if even if I want to go to gym, gym on the second day, I I don't because then there's no way I could probably get enough rest, and I'm for sure waking up groggy and, and tired for that for a third night. Yeah, it's worth my time. And on top of sleep, diet, and being active, you have to get your nutrition on. So we talked about meal prepping. There's a full episode on it. But long story short, the bottom line is you got to feed yourself the right shit because you're not going to have crashes. You're going to feel more satisfied, better energy, less fatigued, and like the, the mental clarity. So whatever works for you guys, you just got to get your nutrition in. You got to eat healthy. You got to eat whole food, plant-based, drill it into the head, Peter. They already know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And even if like people that keep arguing like the cost, you know, it's cheaper to, you know, go to McDonald's or eat, or eat fast food. I mean, it's, it's really not. I bought what, I actually tried the Popeye's chicken sandwich today. It's delicious, the spicy one. So good. I paid... I pay like six bucks for for two sandwiches, which which is actually a pretty pretty good price point from here in Chicago. Um, but you know that's only for, for that's only for one meal. You know how much chicken tires can can you eat? You can't really eat, keep eating them because you're gonna get sick of them. But like twenty bucks could you know go a decent way, especially if you do like Uber Eats or any kind of those like um, food services where they deliver to you. Those are expensive. Like I know one time I ordered like. Three things I pay like thirty some dollars, which which is which is ridiculous. So whoever says that you know it's cheaper for me to you know stay at home and just have food delivered to me, it's really not because it does you know you got to pay for you know the processing fee and a delivery fee, which is usually like ten dollars more than what the thing costs in the first place. And, and plus, I feel like companies upcharge their their food from from like Uber Eats and stuff. Like the price that they have listed on there is usually more than what it actually costs. Like if you actually go there. Plus, remember, were you there um, when we ordered some Uber Eats and we got the wrong delivery? Oh, yeah. That was annoying yeah. where we got the – yeah, we wanted – we ordered like four Sundays, but we got chicken nuggets and fries instead. Yeah, it was a whole thing. So you might order food and might not even be yours. So screw that completely, guys. Um, save some money, meal prep. It's going to – it's a lot better. And the other one is caffeine. So this is one of those things where you could be overly caffeinated on days, but I've I've been trying to do, I could do tea all night long or I'll do a cup of coffee at 6 PM and that's it. And I'll have one cup of coffee the whole day. So that could work out for you guys. It just depends. But caffeine is one of those things that like, if you consume too much, yes, you can go to bed still, but 
the half-life, you're still going to have caffeine in your body and affects like the amount of REM sleep you could get. So try to cut back on caffeine. Like even in the mornings when I used to work out and take like a scoop of pre-workout and had 325 milligrams of caffeine, which is like two cups of coffee, man, I was going to sleep and I felt like not satisfied, even though I got like seven hours. It's just because you just weren't going, you know, deep enough into your REM. And that makes sense. I know the same thing. Like if I drink coffee too late, um, I have trouble falling asleep. But I don't know, for me, that kind of wore off, I guess. I could usually fall asleep ba- almost basically as an inst- instant after, after a shift. After a shift, I, I for sure have no issues falling asleep. It's just more like on my days off sometimes. If I'm just a three in a row, that fourth or fifth day that I'm off after a three in a row, that's usually the hardest for me to fall asleep. But I drink a lot of caffeine in general, which probably I should try to cut back on. But there's days where I don't drink caffeine. I do get a little bit of a headache, but nothing serious. Maybe when I was at Baltimore, I got out. But then, no, that's a different reason. I, I, I was sick. But I noticed that if I drink a lot of caffeine for three shifts and the next day I don't drink ca- caffeine, it definitely plays a role in, in, it, in everything. And like the withdrawal is, is, is pretty legit. Like you get a headache, you're kind of moody. And then if I drink that cup of coffee, you know, it, it goes away even though I try not to. But the whole tea thing that you were saying is um, I started bringing tea to work and I brought it to work like five times and I haven't ended up drinking it. I ended up drinking coffee and the water for the most part, but maybe it's just the flavor of tea because I have that tea where it tastes like has like a smoky flavor, which I don't even like in the first place, but I'm just drinking just to get rid of it because I don't want to be wasteful. Yeah, man, it's good. Alrighty, so I think we're good on the nursing, t- on the night shift tips. You want to bounce out to the next topic? Uh, yeah. So, so after surviving night shift, now you got to worry about how to basically survive as a nurse. So us nurses go through a lot of struggles and, you know, there's controversial things that we feel at work. And one of those happens to be, you know, seeing death. We work in a very stressful environment and, you know, these things are, are hard to work through, especially with like in your twenties. Like imagine getting out of school and then you get hit with one of the most stressful jobs in the world where you could literally experience death on a, on a daily basis. It's just, it's very scary. So a lot of nurses have issues coping with, with, with death and just it's very traumatic, not only for the patient's family and the patient, but also for nurses. Like I know a lot of nurses take that to heart. And, you know, you can't really take a death to heart, you know, for a nursing standpoint, at least in my opinion. That's why. So like, yeah, that's one of those worst parts of healthcare that we don't talk about is seeing death and dealing with death and dealing with the family because they're going through this whole thing. And, you know, we talked about it on the podcast before. We just have to learn to, like, detach. Um, it takes a little bit of time. It depends on the emotional level that you are and where you are in life. But you have to learn how to, like, let go and have that off switch and, you know, separate from work and life because we deal with death and we just have to become acceptant of what it is and what happens, right? Because you can take that shit home. Yeah, it's definitely easier for certain patients than others because – we know that patient that's been on a unit for, you know, for a few, few months and you think they're getting better. And, you know, one day they just, you know, sheds the fan and, and, and they're gone and you kind of mourn kind of with the family just because you've known that patient for so long compared to that patient that's been there, you know, a day or two where you know, you know, they're going to die and they, have, they do end up dying. It doesn't hit you as hard as the one that's been there for a while. I can imagine, especially if people like in um, the rehab facilities where they're working with that patient for, for so long and that patient maybe been there for, know three or four months at a time and you know um they're not passing away so i feel like if you 
bond allow with the patient, it's definitely a lot harder to let them go than somebody that's been there for maybe a day or two. It's interesting because the units that I've worked on, we never had patients longer than like maybe 20 days max. So it's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's interesting how you guys have it where the patients are on the unit for like um, 20 plus days a month. You said even you said even half a year. Yeah, there's just depends. Um, like if they're like a heart transplant or like a lung, we obviously want to keep them on the unit just because the surgeon physicians are, are there, the ones that did the surgery that, you know, are taking charge. We're not going to send them home if we know that they're not in a good, like stable place. Because, you know, if, if we send them home, some people live like four or five hours away and they come in for a heart, they're not going to come back to our facility. They're going to go to a different hospital and the hospital's going to send them right back just because it's, it's our heart that we have, that we did. So there's, you know, there's, it's more like a gray line. We don't want to release them when they're too sick. And unfortunately there's patients that stay there for like a, a very long time, which, which, which is rough and families there and surgeries, surgeries just don't always go as planned. Like you think a patient's doing good. We had a patient that, I don't know, that probably, came in and out maybe like three or four times where we thought that he was going to die and he did not end up dying. He did not end up dying until like the fourth time. And yeah, there's a lot of procedures that just, just like you said, don't go according to plan. I remember one patient I had that needed to get a few things done and it led from just getting a, like a femoral bypass to just getting a, the below the knee amputation like sometimes it, things get complicated and just with all the comorbidities that like patients come with. Um, the next one that we could cover is the pressure of knowing everything. That's something that we don't talk about often, but we have a tremendous pressure to have all the freaking answers literally that the patients could think of. And sometimes it's so specific to like, how long are they going to be in the hospital or when will this tube take be taken out? Like the questions are, so opinion and bias that like I, you can't answer them sometimes, man. Cause like, I don't have the answers and it's so much pressure on the nurse and it, that makes it stressful for her because you have to answer to people that are, that you're dealing with their life and you don't know the answers and they look at you like you're like an unknowledgeable person. Right. Yeah. Like let's say if you work in a specialized field, let's say you do like GI compared to cardiac, I have a patient that comes with a cardiac issue and a cardiologist comes in, you know, he, he starts saying, saying a bunch of stuff that you don't know what the hell's going on because like you said, you're like a GI unit that does deals with like bowel surgeries. You obviously not going to have the best cardiac knowledge. And then, you know, a physician comes in, why isn't this done? Why are you doing this instead of this? Why is this medication on? And you kind of feel like competent. Like, I don't know everything. Like I'm sure the physician doesn't know a lot about what's going on with the GI surgeries because he's a cardiologist, but, the fact, I feel like especially nurses, the fact that they don't know an answer to a question is you get like a giant feeling of almost incompetence, which isn't, which isn't fair to anybody to say, but I like on a personal level, like if somebody asks me a question and I don't know it, like an NP or a physician, I feel like shit, like I feel like, a, like I should have known it. Like, why don't I know the answer? Even if it's like something that I haven't seen in, in years or something that I don't even deal with, you know, even like with like the electrophysiology of, electrophysiology of the heart or where the MI is, like, like things that some people know, not everyone's going to know it. And you do feel incompetent, even though you don't work with it on a daily basis. I think that's what, that's what might prevent me from going to day shift is sometimes is that pressure to be around doctors, around family, constantly being bombarded and just not knowing. Um, 
and I do want to try night shift no matter what. I want to go eventually, but I think you just scratched the whole mic Sorry. there. Um, you just lost my train of thought. Um, but it makes it so much harder to um, hold on, I'm blanking out here. See this happens to like transition from like nights to days. If you know the pressure is that great because you deal with so much things. But I'm gonna want to do it maybe after the um, contract's over because I feel like my quality of life could be a lot better working days. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know. Like for me, my issue with day shift is just, you kind of say, I feel like I would have less autonomy and less freedom. I feel like I would have to always ask, some, ask people if I could do this. Should I start this medication? Is it okay if I do this medication instead of this medication? Is it okay if I do this instead of this? It's a night shift where you kind of troubleshoot right there on the spot with more autonomy, and then you know, I want to—I don't want to say deal with the consequence later, but you—you you page later. Basically, you got to fix them now, and then you kind of deal with you know the orders later for the most part compared to having to ask you know everybody every kind of question. But I mean, it'll be nice having somebody there that's always there to help you, which would be pretty solid. If you don't know the answer, you can just you know page out, and usually you get a page within a few minutes, ideally. Yeah, so it, that, that's what's the difference in Kaiser man is like the doctors are on call. They pick up so quick. They put they put all their orders in. You don't put any orders in as a nurse in Kaiser. Like the nurses are really spoiled. So it's kind of interesting how you're talking from one perspective, right? But the other perspectives is like where I'm working is, bro, there's everything always there. Even like the intubation, man, I, I didn't touch anything. I feel like I'm losing my skill. So it's interesting that the night shift here, everything is covered. There's a doctor, there's a MD always in the facility, which is cool. And they come up and round in the ICU and like ask if you need anything. It's interesting. Mm. So how was the intubation different in Kaiser compared to um, where we were before? Um, we had a resident that came in. Um, I had the RSI kit, which is the rapid um, sequence intubation kit. I was pushing the medications, drawing them up here. Anesthesia came with, um, with another partner. And her partner pushed all the medications. I didn't touch anything. Respiratory did the whole, you know, the whole breathing tube management. I was just hanging out with both of my hands like this on the freaking rail. Do you guys need anything? No. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, for, it seems like that's basically the way we do it over, over here where I work. Just anesthesia, anesthesia usually comes in. Um, sometimes they bring a residence. Sometimes they don't. It just depends on, um, on how teaching is going. And then sometimes they tend to push their own So you usually just ask. You want to push your own med, do not. Some of them want to push their own meds, some of them don't. And if they don't, you know, you push it for them and then you kind of just stand back, let them do their business, maybe move the patient down a little bit in bed or, or up and then just ahead of the bed and they come and do their business and, and they leave. And another, interest, another interesting thing is not to get sidetracked is there's no um, intraosseous kits in the ICU. So normally we could do an intraosseous, which is an IO. For those that don't know, it's basically a needle that gets drilled into the bone if you don't have an IV site. So they don't do it in the ICU. They don't have it at all. And it's crazy because it's critical care. Like if things are going down, we can't start an IV. What are we going to do? And they only have it in the ER. To be honest, I don't think we even stuck in um, interosculus in our ICU. I think we got to go down to ER if we need to start one. Because I don't know. I haven't seen... I've had somebody come in on it, but I've never seen it started in our unit. Yeah, it's every single facility has it different. It's interesting how there's no like standard or standard practice, right? And just like um, 
the pharmaceutical industry we talk about that's rigged too because of there's no standard in America. Yeah. So another part, just to kind of keep rolling with the topics, um, the next one is taking care of drug addicted patients. Um, That's one thing that is not talked about healthcare, which makes it bad that we sometimes have to give pain medications and technically give a high to a patient that is drug seeking. And we're aware of it, but we can't do anything because pain is subjective for a lot of, a lot of people that know that. And we can't, you can't lie at pain rating. Technically, I can't say you're not in pain, Peter, because you're not, you know, you're not frowning patients saying seven out of 10 and you have to believe them. And what happens? We push freaking pain medication Oh, like a patient told me once or like this week that she likes her dilaudid with Benadryl because it helps with her nausea. And Benadryl is, of course, um, a a medication for itchiness. And if you have hives or if you have a drug reaction, but, you know, for her, Benadryl is nausea medication and she likes to get it pushed with what happened. Of course, she was freaking snowed out, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. She probably got a nice little high and then went straight off to bed. Um, I don't really deal with too much um, drug seekers because we look at a heart failure unit, which usually if someone uses drugs that has heart failure, they tend to unfortunately usually die sooner than people that have heart failure and don't use drugs. But I, we did have a few of them where, where you can kind of tell sometimes where even like with, with like the narcos, like old ladies and, 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 and their narcos, they have like a little ritual where it's like, you know, like kind of similar to you with the guy fentanyl Benadryl where this lady wants like a, Tylenol, a Norco 10, and like a, like a tramadol. It's like, yo, chill out, lady. You're like, you're like barely 80 pounds. I'm not going to give you all this at, at, at once. Even, oh, though she's been doing this, even though she's been doing this at home, I'm not going to do it just because she probably built the tolerance to it. I'm still not going to do it just for, for safety. I'm not going to, you know, give them Narcan at, you know, three o'clock in the morning because they're not breathing anymore. Yeah, that's that's like one guy that I had that came in for um, ETOH withdrawals. And we found out that like this guy um, took like a Xanax that night with like two shots of vodka or three daily. And his wife didn't know. And she's like, no, he hasn't drank alcohol in six months. But clearly it was ETOH, man, because you can't fake that, you know. Um, th- the next topic that we're going to cover um, that makes healthcare bad is the lack of respect from other people in the medical industry. And that could be anything from lateral abuse or vertical or um, horizontal, I'm sorry, horizontal or vertical, meaning horizontal among nurses. Sometimes we have that. There's that queen bee syndrome that we talk about or um, the other kind of verbal abuse where it could be from like physicians where they, you know, treat us like shit, don't respect us. Or I haven't noticed it here in Cali, but sometimes you'll get verbal abuse or they'll, they'll kind of like talk you down, you know? Like especially probably like when you're newer, I can see that happening. Um, I haven't really noticed. I mean, not that I, I don't remember anything happened to me when I was newer, and I haven't really noticed anything recently. But there is, you know, certain people that I see they get they get talked down to, um, and that's kind of, you know, it's not very professional in the first in the first place. And doesn't want to doesn't want the nurse to you know call the physician or or call that NP you know to, to get ordered. It's just it just puts up a barrier for the most part. If, if, you know, if you're in conflict or if a nurse is, you know, afraid to ask certain questions or, or she just feels like incompetent, then obviously that's going to affect the patient's care. So I don't think you should degrade anybody, you know, for a lack of knowledge or, or anything like that just because of, you know, you're just good because you're, 
position is more superior than somebody else's. I just don't think that's fair. But personally, I haven't really seen that done very much much to me. And if it has, I probably just brushed it off and felt like it was no big deal. Yeah. Well, see, you have that mentality, but there's nurses that like literally cried when a doctor told them something, you know, I had this nurse that I knew that like literally was crying and it happens or that's that day shift, right? That pressure where something might happen and they get like, they feel very emotional about it. Yeah. And that's that, that's that abuse that um, could happen, you know? And another one is um, hospital politics. That's why I did travel nursing because hospital politics happen and it sucks, especially for like staff nursing, man. When you, when you're a staff, you always have to deal with the little things that happen on the unit and you know, all that um, jazz. Exactly. Like, you know, let's say, I don't know what to think of like, like a patient, like you have a lot of falls on your unit. So now you got, uh, you know, fill out like a hourly rounding sheet or something. I feel like, if something isn't up to standards or the stats aren't right, they end up giving us something to fill out some kind of a paperwork to, you know, show that we are abiding by the rules. And it just added, adds more, more work to us and a lot of nurses end up not doing or skipping over. And it's not even, most of the time it's not even like a valid piece of paper that you could show to the state. It's just something that, you know, the unit does. We as nurses, I feel like we always just, we talk about short of the stick. We always get like the, the punishment. So if something doesn't get done, we punish, um, there's a meeting, there's a freaking um, UTI or, or cause from a Foley. We always get punished. Hey, take out your Foley catheters earlier. Now every single charger has to audit. So there's always, there's always forms of punishment for healthcare. Like it's, it sucks. And that's like what kind of creates that like toxic environment too, when you're constantly getting like bashed, like you're, you know, your shifts suck, you got meetings and they kind of bash you and it just like it. It's not an environment you want to be around sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes they do like rewards. I know on our unit they're doing, if you pull like a Foley within the first, I think four or six hours over your shift, whoever pulls like the most Foley's gets like a weekend off or something. So, cause now I don't know, there's like a hospital wide driven Foley pulling thing going on where I guess hospitals are getting a lot of, not a lot of, but more than the state amount required UTIs or whatever the numbers are, but that's what they're, they're doing. If you pull a certain amount of Foley's, if you pull the most on the unit, you get the weekend off, they're pretty, which, they're, which is like, which is like, okay. But then if you think about it, sometimes these new nurses, especially because I feel like turnover rates is, is high now. And you're getting a, a lot of new nurses. I feel like some nurses are going to pull that fully too quick and then they're going to end up putting a new one in, or it's going to cause, you know, some, some pain or some bladder distension for, to the patient. That or like, man, if you have a patient on Lasix and they don't technically need the Foley, but you want to monitor, I'm not pulling that damn thing just to get a little ribbon at the end of the month. Like I want to keep it not for this. I mean, technically I want to keep it to make my shift easier. That's the reality, right? But I still want to monitor the eyes and O's. But usually I just kind of like look at what the order is. If it says pull post-op day two, I will. But usually I like my Foley's in for the sake of making my shift easier. It's already freaking hard if... You know, you got the freaking, the ones, uh, she's going to pee so damn much. You know, you're going to change that. You got to double chuck it. You know, you're going to change like three, four times a shift and just becomes backbreaking, man. Foley's are convenience. Yeah, it does. Especially like on the same way. I mean, is they give me a lot of damage done to the patient? Is the patient going to get too high because you left the, the Foley in overnight? I mean, I don't know, 100% sure, but I, I, I don't think so. I don't think, you know, they're going to get UTI with like the 
12 hour to thread. If they already got a UTI, it's probably, you know, from, from before. But I like to do my Foley's in, in two, especially because like you said, it's his eyes and nose. And a lot of these patients, if you pull a Foley, they're sometimes incontinent for the first couple of times. And just going in there, changing them, and now you're getting inaccurate eyes and nose, and then the cardiologist comes in and be like, hey, you know, you didn't chart any kind of eyes and nose. I'm like, yeah, I charted them, but, you know, I didn't catch any because the patient was incontinent because I had a Foley. Pull a, pull a Foley because of, you know, this whole nurse driven protocol thing that's, that's going on. But yeah, I like to keep, keep mine in mind. And especially if they're on like on a 40 of Lasix IV, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a lot, you know, going, you know, consistently through your body. It's, it gets too much. Especially like people, especially people come with, with heart failure or CVP is like through the roof, like 16 and you got diarrhea some, you know, yeah, I'm going to leave that Foley and I'm not going to, you know, have them have come in and empty urinal every two hours because, you know, they peed a liter. It's like, no, that fold is going to stay in up until, you know, we decrease the delay six at least. See, you have it so much different because you work at a straight cardiac unit. So you deal with the six and, um, and all that. Another, um, politic one that we want to mention, which makes healthcare worse sometimes is the politics where it sucks. And then you hear nurses talk about it constantly. I don't know if you had a toxic environment before, but like if, the politics suck. You, they talk about it during your shift. Like everything is so negative sometimes that doesn't make you want to work there. Yeah. Like there's the management politics that they do the things I mean. So management wise and politics are, we're not meeting these standards. Let's add these, these forms that you got to fill out. So the management politics are if nurses aren't hitting, hitting the quotas or the goals, we're going to need to incorporate measures to make them hit those. And then there is unit politics, which is like you and your coworkers where, you know, this click doesn't get along with this click. You know, this nurse isn't, isn't doing this and you like to talk shit and, you know, you work with the same people for the most part and eventually someone's going to talk shit about somebody and it, it's just like a the vicious politics on you did. Yeah, I completely agree with that one. Right, let's jump into the next topic since we're already like hitting a 40-minute mark as are per usual. Working on holidays and weekends. We all know that freaking sucks and happens to most of us most of us have to work every other i've worked every third before but usually it's every other and it's usually you know you have the rotating holidays and you're away from family and we as nurses make those sacrifices which completely sucks yeah like looking from an outside perspective before i became a nurse i felt oh i could work every other weekend it's not like i do everything every weekend anyways you don't really think it's that big of a deal but when you finally start working those weekends, you, you, you hate it. Like it, it sucks because you realize, I feel like the more you get older, the more stuff you do on weekends. It's not about just like partying or going out. It's like, that's your family time. That's your time to do things around the house. That's just like, to do things in general because that's when everyone's off. That's how usually people go shopping. People usually don't go shopping during the week because you know they work during the week. So even though when you're younger, weekends are more for, like I said before, for partying, for hanging out. When you get older, it's weekends are more for, you know, enjoying your personal time and doing stuff in general. It's like engraved. Like we lose that. Yeah. We lose that. Like for, for holidays. I mean, I don't really care about working for holidays at this age just because, you know, I don't have any kids and basically the holidays have been the same for me for the past like 25 years, which isn't that big of a deal. So usually I don't mind picking up the holidays. So somebody else could have them off because like I said, it's, I've been doing the same stuff for holidays for 25 years. Maybe when I'm obviously when I'm older, I have a family, I would definitely want to get it off. But, now that I'm younger, I'd rather take that, take that differential than, you know, go to holidays because I my family whenever I want in the first place. Maybe yeah. it'd be different for you because, like, if you're traveling now, I'm sure if you travel, let's say, 
12 months out of the year, which is the whole year, I'm sure you would want to come over the holidays compared to if you saw your family already on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those things that I actually have to do. I actually have to email one of the, um, the schedulers and see if I could have something tweaked where I could come in for Christmas. Cause when I accepted that contract, they didn't allow me anything. So we'll have Nothing. to play it by air. So would you already, did they tell you required to work every holiday or they just said, we'll see what we could do. I don't know because I'm off Thanksgiving and both Eve or prior to day before. So I'm not going to get any overtime and it's because I have a high, um, you know, hourly rate for overtime. So they're not scheduling me. So I'll, now I have to find out about Christmas to see if I'm even going to work. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, but the last one is outdated equipment and technology. So it, that becomes so annoying. There's always little things that I noticed that could be done or could be upgraded. Like a big thing here in, in this Kaiser facility is the vital signs do not like go over when you, when you have like the cart ones, the vital sign machines. And if you do a glucose check, it doesn't carry over to the flow sheet. When you dock it, you have to manually chart the blood sugar. Huh? What That's I'm weird. saying yeah, that, that's, that's annoying. Like I know for our photos, usually always carry over. The only time that they don't carry over if there's like a communication issue and then it's usually like a, it's usually fixed with like a, like a refresh kind of thing where you add the room to your computer. But for me, I feel like we have pretty solid technology, pretty solid stuff from a technological uh, aspect. It's more, the more of the issue is, is it working? Like we have these cool things that we have on the unit that somebody's only working and you're just like, this is just, just a waste of space. Or even like our scanners, like they're real cool because, you know, you scan the patient, you scan the med, it tells you right on that screen, you know, the medication, the dose, it'll flag it if it's, if it's the wrong dose, it'll flag it if it's the wrong med. But sometimes those, you know, those things don't always work. So you got to manually go to the computer and, and chart them, especially when they're doing like the reboots or yeah. they're doing like a system update where it's usually at nights because you're not going to do it on days because, you know, God forbid they, they do it on days, the whole hospital would, would shut down, I feel like. But like I said, from my perspective, it's more of not low quality technology. It's more of like having a technology, you know, work consistently. That, that is true. So like one of them, like in, um, when I used to work in LaGrange, um, there was like a little barcode on the pumps and you scan the med, you scan the pump and everything carried over to the flow sheet instead of manually doing it. Even the drips, you had insulin, everything carried over. And the thing is, is yeah, it's cool. To, to, this is better technology, but it was so slow to load, so slow to open up. So now this, this technology that's supposed to make it easier for us is actually slowing us down. Just like in Oakland, like we had to manually print out the labels and fill them out and sign it and then co-sign it with, with another nurse because they didn't have like barcode technology there. So yeah, that, yeah, that was so annoying. Every morning you had to like literally write out all, all these lab, all these like this paperwork and all these labels like i mean it's not the end of the world but and it wasn't crazy time consuming it was just annoying like i sometimes when you get a, like a the new patient where it needs like a brand new full set of labs plus like six other ones you're just like dude like it's just, it's just ridiculous like there's a better method for this and then no one wants to implement it i don't know if they can't afford to implement it or they didn't want to but i feel like that hospital was like planning on getting shut down sometimes soon. Not that it was a bad hospital. I feel like they're maybe someone's going to take it over and just change things up a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of politics that we don't know about that happened. And um, I talked to my director, the prior one in the past when she was talking about 
spendings and we don't realize like how everything is distributed and how much they have to actually charge to make, you know, make it work. Yeah. Have you like ever looked at a computer, how much the meds cost the patients? Yeah. Sometimes I do. It's, it's outrageous. It's ridiculous price. So some of these meds are a hundred of dollars where, you know, you go over like over the counter, like aspirin, things like that, like Calinol, those get charged insane amount of amount of amounts where like two pills cost more than like the, you know, like the 30 count in, in Walgreens, which is ridiculous. That's especially just some of, these, some of these drips where they go for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and it's, it's insane. And they go home on this and there's some of these, these drips and you're just like, holy shit, this is so expensive. And yeah, and that's one of those topics that we had when I had it with the director and she say, said, that's how the hospital makes money. That the price point has to be that high because that's the only way the hospital is going to be able to, you know, make, make it make even or make profit in this case because they have to pay everybody that works for, you know, food services, uh, all the utilities, you got the surgeons, every little part in that patient's care like has to get um, accounted for. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how insurance goes, goes through all that. Cause I know when someone goes to hospital, they don't get necessarily charged per thing and a bill, they get like a, like a, when their bill comes in, it's like a bundle, I believe. I haven't seen an insurance, um, like a slip, like I haven't seen an insurance bill for a while, but the last time I saw them, it was like, it's like, it's like a bundle. It doesn't say like you took this, 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 this. It's just like a bundle. This is, this is what we did. And this is what constitutes this charge. Yeah. Do you want to wrap this one up? We're um, yep. really past 40 minutes, guys. We, I think we talk sometimes too much, but if you have listened this long, here's some exclusive info. If you feel like you could potentially be a guest on the show, because that's who we're looking for, or if you know somebody that has a cool perspective, that's a nurse, that's a doctor, that's a student, somebody that is basically, you would, you would consider a good speaker, let us know. Tell them to reach out to us, and we're willing to bring them on and have a conversation with them. Yeah, our is doing some you know, groundbreaking stuff, some cool research, someone that's trying to implement new ideas. No, we're welcome to that just because, you know, what's better way to share your ideas than, you know, talk about them and have people listen to them. Exactly. Alrighty guys, we will see you guys next week, guys. Take care. Have a good night.